the world would have you believe that creativity and like a regular robust creative practice as in bringing creativity to everything you do the world would have you believe that that's some sort of an indulgence that it's a a waste of time or that you should be doing something else like jumping jacks or or listening to uh talk radio or i don't know watching the stock market but the reality is that everything around you was created and the first step in creativity is imagining what's possible. So many things, so many, so many ideas out there in the world, and yet there is an infinity number, an infinity of things to be created. And nothing is going to start that creative practice without your ability to direct your imagination, to think what you want in this world, what you want for yourself. And that is why we're dedicating an entire episode to imagination. Now, specifically, if you're familiar with the Creative Life Book Club, where we are talking about my book, Creative Calling, then you know what I'm talking about. But this is an audio recap of the second week in this six-part series of the book club. And in this episode, we cover a bunch of things like imagination, how creativity is required for us to thrive, the gap between where you are right now and where you want to be, and how to create a narrative arc for yourself, and ultimately a series of steps on how to get there. So if any of that sounds reasonably practical, duh, or at all seductive, then you want to pay attention to this episode. Now, if you missed part one, no problem. Haven't read the book, no problem. Doesn't matter. Not, not, not even know what I'm talking about. Absolutely not a worry. This episode's still going to deliver. If the idea of developing your imagination such that you can see who you want to be and or become the projects that you want to make happen in your one precious life, then I believe you're going to get great value from the next 60 minutes. So I'm going to get out of the way. But before we do, just a quick word from our sponsor, Creative Live. Hey, oh, hey, uh, new sponsor alert. So this episode of Chase Jarvis Live is brought to you by Creative Live. And you all know, yeah, of course, I am the founder of that company. But I got to just be straight up. This is unequivocally, no questions asked, the best place in the world for creator and entrepreneurial education. I mean, Frankly, nothing even comes close, and it's the only one that's focused specifically on photography, design, video, art, music, craft, and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all those disciplines. It's where the best teachers in the world, where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best go to teach. So, of course, I'm biased, but I, I just encourage you to check it out because nothing else comes close and you will be on your way to join millions of other folks in our creative community there learning from the world's top experts okay that's it that's my soapbox that is the commercial and we'll hope to see you over creative life now let's get back to the show good morning or good afternoon evening wherever you are i know we have a worldwide audience i'm chase jarvis founder and ceo of creative live but also your host and your guide and your um, teacher, if you will, for today's stuff. Welcome back to the Creative Calling Book Club. 
uh, I don't know about you, but um, this is something I have been looking forward to. Uh, I want to recap just very briefly where we've come from, where we are, and where we are going before we get too deep into today's programming. First, where we are. We are in week two of a six-week program. The first week was last week. And the program overall, these six weeks, uh, we are doing a deep dive into uh, my best-selling book, Creative Calling, in an effort to become better creators, to um, connect with who we really are as creators, and to define our life, to create, if you will, any project, but also create the masterpiece of our lives. So session one last week, we covered the intro, uh, uh, basically a, a, a chapter in the book, the very right up front called Read This First and the introduction that established um, what we were going to do over the course of the next six weeks. And in the book established helps you understand the context for why creativity, why it's important. Today, we are kicking off, this is the second part of the six-part series. Um, each of the next four parts today and the three weeks following will cover individual pieces of the IDEA framework, I-D-E-A. These are also uh, steps or parts in the book. The first one is imagination. The second one is design. The third one um, is execute. And the fourth one is amplify. And if you remember, this is a creative process for any project, whether it's a presentation at work, writing a song, building a business, or more importantly, I think the framework for creating your life. So right now we are focused on the I, the imagination part. Uh, I believe that imagination is something that we have largely become disconnected from as, uh, as a culture. And as a reminder, that is where we are going to spend our time today on reconnecting with that. Um, so if you'd think of the last three minutes of what I've shared as, as this is orientation, uh, where we are in the process, it is really important to me to, uh, put a stake in the ground. Most of us are um, trying to make sense and reeling from the senseless killing of, uh, of George Floyd. Um, the way that I have been processing it uh, is best, I think, shared in a video that I made. Um, I think we could spend, you know, our hours and days and, and essentially our entire lives talking about racial injustice. And I think it's a very, very important part um, but so as to keep focused on our topics today, if you're unfamiliar with my point of view, the point of view of creative live, there's a great video on my Instagram and you can also go to uh, creativelive.com slash BLM where we have created a list of resources and I would love for you to check that out and please contribute to it. Um, if you have ideas, um, both, uh, black voices that are leaders in that community that we're listening to, um, black creators, um, there's a whole, uh, a handful of ways to get involved, activism, petitions, et cetera. So I would invite you to go check that out. And I think the takeaway, um, for this community here with this class relative to, uh, current events is it's even more, more, um, evident that we need creativity now more than ever before. 
again, creativity is not just art. Art is a small subset of creativity and it's one that's really culturally acceptable, but I'm talking about creativity with a capital C, not just popsicle sticks and pipe cleaners and glitter and not just writing a song and not just taking a photograph. I'm talking, those are great daily ways to connect with this, this, um, one thing that defines our humanity, one thing that makes us differentiated from all the other species on the planet. But I, I really believe that creativity with a capital C is my core message, the core message of the book. And, um, again, it's, it's a reminder how critical it is right now in this time, because we are going to co-create our future. So we might as well get good at doing, at, at creating. I loved seeing your notes from last week. I want to say thank you to, again, people coming in from all over the world. Um, I am seeing your comments. Um, I have the ability to, most people are viewing this on the class page at creativelive.com slash book club. If you go there, maybe you're seeing me right now on YouTube Live or on Facebook, um, but feel free to go to creativelive.com slash book club. Um, I'm seeing all of the comments uh, that you are um, feeding me, if you will, from clicking the live chat on that page. Um, I do also see in a slightly delayed manner stuff from Facebook and Twitter and and uh, YouTube Live. So feel free to stay there if that's where you're comfortable. But just know that the most engaged um, part of the discussion for me is around the the URL. And I I loved seeing your comments from last week. Uh, we intend today to go to keep it uh, the the information. I promise to keep it between 30 and 60 minutes every week for the following six week or for the next six weeks. I'm going to stick to that. But we may go long in the Q&A because so many people have questions and I always find that to be super valuable, not just for the person who's receiving the answer, um, but for me, the teacher, to be able to remind um, myself and to um, be able to put it back out in the world. And so if one person has a question, the chances are, I mean, there are thousands of people watching right now across all these different live streaming platforms chances are lots of people have that question. So I want to encourage questions. I'm going to stop periodically ac uh, across the next hour to answer some of those questions. And then we definitely are going to get to a big bunch at the end. So feel free to chime in. I'm seeing your, um, your names and not faces, but your words, um, questions, whatnot already popping up from all of the world. We got, uh, we literally have a global audience. So if you've got a second to tap in a, a, uh, note of where you're coming in from, I always love to see that not required, of course. Um, a couple other housekeeping things before we dive deep into our topics for today. Um, in addition to uh, loving seeing all your notes and comments throughout the week, um, many of you know that uh, I gave out my phone number last week uh, that we can text with. So um, I'm opening it up specifically to members of this community ahead of all of the other places. I haven't made big announcements anywhere. Um, but I also enjoyed communicating with, uh, I don't know, about a thousand or something of you. That's what I got to last week um, on last week's topics, um, introducing and under uncovering our, our own creativity. So I'm going to give you that number again right now up front here. You can text me at 206-309-5177. Yes, it's me. You may have to, uh, in order to activate the software that connects it to my my um, app on my phone, you may have to um, 
go through one round of an automated, just like, is this you? And uh, I'm not actually quite sure what it feels like from the user's end, but uh, it's me typing with my thumbs. Um, so I would encourage you to do that and invite you to participate in that community. That is where I, I, I'm setting out a lot of information early on. Um, and I was also inspired to see that so many of you had left reviews at Amazon for creative calling. Um, I've learned from my agent and my publisher that that is a really, uh, important factor in making sure that this material bubbles to the top and um, at Amazon, um, for people typing in entrepreneurship, creativity, building a life, creating um, any of those things. And so if you haven't yet and you've read the book, I would, it would mean the world to me if you left a review at, uh, at the Creative Calling site on Amazon. Or of course, wherever you bought your book or listened or watched or read or whatever, that would be amazing. So I did see um, a couple dozen of you do that and that would be amazing. I would love to have a couple hundred. So if you've gotten value and you haven't yet, it would mean the world. Um, last note before we dive into this, uh, material is we did not do any of the challenges this past week that I had promised specifically in observance of the black lives matter, um, movement around the census killing of George Floyd. And while I, it was very important that we made and continue to make room for black voices, um, I will start to pepper some of those things in because again, we need creativity now more than ever before. Okay. Um, thanks again. I, I do see all you coming in from all over the world. Um, oh, someone says that the, the audio is not working. I think uh, I'm not saying, nope, I'm not seeing any folks. Uh, if, if that's happening, please on the tech side, um, let me know. Otherwise I'm not getting any other feedback. Just one person, Ada, maybe you can either join on, uh, on Facebook or try the creative live site again. Um, just want to say Zara, Gabriella, um, Carol, Anna, Radonna, um, Diana, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, we got Africa in the house, New York, New Jersey, Reykjavik, Iceland, ca uh, Canada. All right. People are ready to dive into today's material. So I'm happy to uh, get started. <clears throat> All right. Remember. What we're discussing today is the first of the four steps in the creative process, the idea process, I-D-E-A, imagination. Now, I'd like to kick it off with a reading. Um, and for those of you who have the book, I don't know what the Kindle address is on this, but in the hardback, it's on page 28. That's just, that's just not how it works. It's fiction. So part of imagination is thinking not just differently, not just bigger, but thinking from you, your point of view. Part of what we covered last week was how our point of view has ultimately been shaped by so many people, by parents and, and spouses and partners and mentors and career counselors. And everyone's got a plan for, for this one precious life that we have. But what I want you to reconnect with and what we talked about last week and now as it moves into this phase of imagination is what is it that you truly want? And, you know, to go back to the reading on page 28, this idea that sort of pretending is the way it's not true that that may be helpful for some people who have imposter syndrome, but there's no substitute 
for actually engaging your creativity. Um, part of what is fascinating to me, um, I don't know how many of you caught my conversation with Peter Diamandis yesterday. Um, actually none of you would have, because we didn't broadcast it live now that I'm thinking about it. Um, it was an off live recording conversation a couple of years in the making. Um, but we, we talked about how, um, there's this belief culturally that creativity is some sort of an indulgence, you know, if you, um, and part of the reason that this is the case is because people, uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, think of it as just art or as just pipe cleaners and popsicle sticks and what we did as second graders. And now we know that that's not at all the case, right? Creativity with a capital C underpins the solution for any challenge, for every problem the world will ever know. If creativity is putting new things together in, in useful ways to create something, that's, that is what defines <laughs> um, innovation, right? You can't actually have innovation. Innovation is a word that, that businesses like to throw around, that artists like to throw around with technology, for example. But what is innovation if it's not creativity applied? So, so many people in our culture have thought about creativity as an indulgence, as something that's nice to have. But if you look at any of the top performers in the world, if you look at the top 100 companies on in the NASDAQ or through virtually any lens, you understand that there is a prioritization of creativity. You know, I've always questioned, like, if it's an indulgent, what are you supposed to be doing instead of learning how to create? You just like supposed to be studying the stock market or something. It's always been un, unclear what we're supposed to be doing if we're not supposed to be working on our creativity. But now as the world's information is moving a lot faster and people understand what creativity with a capital C is, I think there's a reconciling that's, that's happening right now. Um, that there's a, an understanding that this isn't a waste of resources. That in fact, again, as you look around, like literally everything around you was created. Right. The microphone that I'm talking at, the desk that you're sitting at, the phone, it's all created. So creativity is ultimately the most powerful thing on the planet. Right. It it has put everything that, you know, into existence, including you. So if this is true and creativity is our birthright, what is our next step is, to me is looking at this gap between where we stand right now and where we want to be. And in order to fulfill that picture, we have to understand where we want to go. If you don't know where you, what's that saying? If you don't know where you want to go, it's going to be hard to get there. And that is why imagination is such a key, key piece of this puzzle. Now, one other thing, you know, I've invoked you guys to, um, you all out there in the world to bring a notebook if you can, or to, um, bring a way to make notes in the margin or to tap out your thoughts as they're arising. And I encourage you to do this part of imagining. And I want to use a little lens on my own process to try and help tell the story. Uh, but you get to, um, open up your imagination through, it's almost literally through daydreaming. And I've talked a lot about the perfect day exercise. Um, I wrote about it in the book, which is like, if you could define what a perfect day would look like, what would it be? And if that can integrate this idea of what your future is now, I do not know whether you're using this idea framework to 
create a project. Maybe you want to complete the novel that's been waiting to be completed um, or it's been on the shelf or whatever. You had to stop some process that you started a long time ago. Maybe it's a presentation for work or maybe it's your life. Again, creativity with the capital C. I don't know. But what I do know is that trying to understand what is possible without constraints, that is my ask of you today. Start to jot down what would be possible if money was not uh, an issue, if um, your training was not an issue, if what your parents or peers or partners said to you was not an issue. What could this project be? How high could you take it? How deep could you go with it? And to me, this is a good place to start. And once you can unblock some of these trappings that are, we're, it, look at, it's a part of our culture. I do, do not blame yourself, but go to work on undoing all of that programming. And the way to go to work is truly thinking as big as you can. However big you think you can, you can think, think bigger. And by bigger, it's really important that you understand that I do not mean monetarily. I do not mean, um, impact if that is, you know, if, if, if it's, you're just like, look, dude, I'm trying to like get my letterpress going in my garage. It's not about changing the world. That's fine. But what I want you to do is be real with yourself. Like what is the maximum, the maximum vision for that thing. And I believe that not many people ask us to do this. And like all things like creativity as a process, these muscles that we develop, they atrophy. You remember as a kid, when someone said, what do you want to do? You had your imagination ran wild with the you know magical world that you wanted to be or live in the, um, the characters in the book that you wanted to write when you got asked to do that in second grade. And over time, since this has been, you know, we, we are culturally programmed, which we covered a lot of last time we've lost this. So Im embedded in our ability to dream is our, the, is language. And I can't overstate how important you know, the way I like to say it is the most important words in the world are the ones that we say to ourselves. So part of my, my ask of you today, as you're making notes and creating the biggest vision within whatever scope you want this, you know, you want help from me in again, whether it's doing an individual project or when, whether you, you're trying to define your career or perhaps your life is to start to put down notes. I don't care where you put them. I don't care if it's on scraps of paper or in the margins, but you need to, to start activating this because it's a muscle and we need to get that muscle moving. So again, I mentioned how you talk to yourself and saying to yourself that you have the ability to achieve this dream, even in the face of all of the doubters and the haters is a really important first step. And, um, I wanted to give a couple examples. I started, um, and again, this I think was written in the book. Uh, yeah, it was, um, that before I was ever a professional, before I'd made a dollar as a photographer, I, I had just inherited a camera. It was not even a professional grade camera from my grandfather after he died. Um, I knew that what I wanted to do was be a photographer and yet I was on my way to medical school. I had just quit my soccer career and 
it was ludicrous by all measures relative to what people outside my brain thought I was going to do or wanted to do. And I needed convincing that A, this was okay and B, that it was possible. So I took a step and I, I had printed, professionally printed cards that said Chase Jarvis photographer and my phone number. I had never, I didn't own a professional camera. I'd never licensed or sold an image in my life. I knew that was what I wanted to do. And this was part of my beginning to dream my dream. And it seems like a very small step, but if you realize that what's possible starts with how we talk to ourselves, all of this starts to make sense. So I want to use another sort of meta example, and that is the example uh, of uh, the, the I stage for me in imagining what was possible with writing the book, Creative Calling. Um, I had had a book agent for some time um, and knew that I wanted to write. And over the course of about three plus years in talking with this agent and not putting any book proposals out there in the world, uh, to be fair, I'd, I'd published a couple of books before I'd published, uh, the best cameras, the one that's with you an iPhone photography book and the Seattle 100, which is a coffee table art book of people driving culture in Seattle. Um, and it was on the basis of those. And I think being a, um, uh, a person who's out in front, uh, of a lot of people in the creative industry that I was able to, um, connect with my, my agent and his name is Steve. And Steve is always like, Hey man, you know, it's, it, we got to, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. And I had several fits and starts. And as someone who would still, again, had already, again, contributed to the Pulitzer prize for snowfall. I'd been nominated for an Emmy. I'd, I'd found and created cult, uh, commercials or uh, creative success for myself, but I wasn't, it wasn't clear what I wanted to do with the book. I started making notes. I started writing and doing work in the mornings early, early on and started painting a very, very wild picture of a book that could both be conceptual and practical. I, I, I looked at the creative books that I had read before, which seemed to suggest that I needed to entirely change who I was, that I needed to move to France and wear a beret and smoke a cigarette and be so pure in my creativity. And it just, I, that didn't, I, I didn't identify with that. And by extension, uh, the books that I really loved were the ones that helped me in a very imperfect way. They didn't say, if you are a perfect person and you take this thing and you do this thing and this thing and this thing, then of course your outcome is going to be perfect. I love books that said, you know, <laughs> that were personal in nature or artist biographies or that never had a tidy bow on them, that they were, they, they plotted a course that was messy. And so in trying to combine a, a, a you know, what I wanted to see in a book about creativity, that it was accessible and in one that was actually practical and gave you steps to take. And at the same time was a Trojan horse, not just about a creative process, but about creating your life. Everybody, you know, I started making these notes and trying to, to pencil this out with my peers. And most people said it was too ambitious. And to be fair, I had to refine the concept. I had to tighten it. But this imagination of what was possible only only um, became concrete through doing work. This is, again, this concept that I actually 
is probably the, another core tenet to my belief as a as a creator and as a human is action over intellect. You have to start doing the work before you see the results. And most of us want to have this perfect path all planned out before we start. But we also know that just starting is um, is critical. So to continue with the story of the book, I I began to pencil out what the results of this book would be. Again, this is sort of starting a visualization process. Um, what it would be like to write the book. I said, oh, you know, I started, I, I started, it was a little bit of a romantic picture, but I understand that getting up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning when you have a, a job that you love to do already, of course, with, with, you know, my creative career and my leadership role at Creative Live. So I had to tell myself stories and imagine waking up really early and, you know, putting on the coffee and listening to music and writing and just making what Anne Lamott in the bird in the in the book Bird by Bird says, a bunch of shitty first drafts. Not even shitty first drafts of the book, but shitty first drafts of what I wanted the book to be. And it was only through that process that I was able to start to put together the thing that this would ultimately become. And you're talking about someone who has uh, you know, has been preaching this stuff for basically 25 years and is a professional creator. So if you're not um, you know, if you don't already have those muscles, it might be even harder than it was for me, but I want to confess that it was very hard and yet it was the necessary first step. So I'm going to invite you to take a moment and make a few notes here. Um, I'm going to slow my roll because I'm hoping that you can, even if it's just, uh, a couple of bullet points or a couple words, in the margin or in your Evernote or wherever it is that you make, make notes, um, give yourself three notes about what could be possible in the area of your life that you want to work, whether it's defining your career entirely or a project. And while I'm doing that, I would love to see, um, a couple, a couple, um, comments that maybe would highlight what those things are so that we can uh, help others <laughs> who are stuck just like um, just like you might be understand that it's in this taking action and making imperfect notes that you're going to be able to create the vision for your life. Andy <laughs> says, I'm guilty of this. I'm stuck. Um, Ada uh, Drew, nice to see you're, you're in the uh, comments here. Drew's been listening while taking notes in the book at the same time. Um, Ursula says, I only have 10 minutes, but I'm trying to write a crappy first line. Nothing's too small. Awesome. Just going to allow a couple more comments to bounce in here. Great. So we're starting to see people say, I know that I want to change careers. I know what that career needs to be. And now I'm trying to think of my next few thoughts. That's amazing. All right. What is that? Amanda. Um, just simply putting that down is a start. That is, that is movement on Instagram. Jenny says, I want to write a photography book. I want to do something on cookery or cooking. And I want to do this 
I want to start this while my son is napping. That's starting to imagine a framework by which you can make this dream come true. Small, halting, imperfect, right? That's like three lines that Jenny Potter photography wrote. And that is a step greater than what happened, where she was when she walked into this class. And to me, this is, is hard to overstate. Um, Terry's, uh, what are you ranting about Terry now with all the imposed free time, you want to recreate your life. That's one of the reasons that we're doing this at this time. It's not an accident. Amy wants to build an online crafting school, one small step at a time. Candace wants to pick up the camera and begin shooting something. She realizes that everything is practice and to be better. She needs to practice in order to be able to be a national hockey league photographer. I love that Candace. All right. We've got people wanting to build schools. We want people to, you know, people wanting to become a photographer. Um, this is an important part of, of the process, actually writing things down. I, I believe it's, uh, 40, you're 42% more likely. I think that you might check me on that, but I think you're 42% more likely to, um, achieve a goal if you write it down. All right, then, um, it's an, it's an important thing that is an asterisk that I will put by, by this as you all are, are finishing this exercise and making some notes. And that is the judgment that comes along with making these notes. I want to tell you it's okay because I know I can see you. I can see yep, you right there. You're judging what you're writing down and your brain's telling you it's not possible because of all of the constraints. It's like you know too much. This is what I this is what I mean when I say we've lost the ability to imagine. So do what you can to put that little voice on pause and 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 write down the thing that if there were no constraints, if you could design your day, if you could design your week, if you could design the project and if you could create the outcome, what would it be? Go back to my book example. In addition to just sitting down and starting to write and write the framework for the book and ideate before sending it to my agent, Steve, most people's book proposals are between 100 and 200 pages. They include sample copy and I sent my agent, Steve, what I call my eighth grade book report. And it was just a paragraph, a bunch of lists, some ideas for titles and topics that I wanted to cover, links to other things I'd written, blog posts I'd written over a thousand blog posts on jacejarvis.com slash blog. I sent that to him as a halting first step, almost embarrassingly so. And you know what? That we just ended up polishing that seven to nine page thing. And this is very uncommon, but that was the first major step that I had um, that, I, that, I, that I had taken in order to actually get the book deal. That was the basis of the thing that we uh, sent around to a couple publishers to choose them. So this thing that I was a throwaway idea or in Anne Lamont language was a shitty first draft ultimately became the thing that, you know, got creative calling off the ground. It took me a weekend. Okay. Of course the book had taken me 25 years to conceptualize, but I want to make the point. All right. Now 
right now there's someone who's saying maybe uh, someone who's sitting at home in their underwear in Ohio staring at the screen, shaking their head, saying, oh, I've already done this three times or I've this has been my like 28th false start on, you know, trying to imagine what I want for myself. It's important for you to know that no effort is ever wasted. All of those things were required for you to be where you are right now, to be in this class with thousands of other people, with a support group to help you get to the next step. So no effort is ever wasted. None. Everything that you've done, and this is a story you need to start telling yourself. Remember, you're talking to somebody who went 12 years out of my way down a career towards professional soccer, down a career toward medical, toward being a doctor, down a career toward being a PhD in philosophy, $100,000 in student debt. So I, as many of you right now, have a right to talk or to think about that effort is wasted, but it's not. All of those things went into my ability to write the book that we're talking about right now. All of those things went into my ability to co-create creative life. All of those things were necessary. So it's important to stop beating yourself up for work that you might consider sunk. It's all valuable. All right. Uh, the next, uh, I want to take a second and see if there's any questions before we go into how to learn. Again, these are three chapters in the book under the step imagine, right? These are um, chapter two or chapter one, which is hear your call, chapter two, which is walk your path, and chapter three, which is you stand out. Hear your call is very much about accepting the fact that you are creative and that you and you alone should be responsible for creating the life that you want. You get one chance. Walk Your Path is about how every experience that you've had so far, which is what we're talking about right now, contributes to the journey that you're on and that you are one of a kind and only you have your shared experience uh, with the world. And it is in that shared experience that the best stuff exists. You felt what it felt like to be on a path, whether it was for a season or a month or your previous job, or when you started as a creator, when you were 21 years old and now you're 31, you felt it before. And that's the path that we want to remind ourselves is possible for us, regardless of the headspace today. And then the last one is you stand out. It's overemphasizing that you are the key ingredient in this process. Most people right now, when they're writing in the margins about this one big dream, whether it's a project or a life, you are still considering what everybody else in the world thinks of you. And you've, you're taught that that is considerate. And I agree, you cannot forge a path with anyone else. No mission is a solo mission. You're going to need your, your partner, your spouse, your kids, your boss, your men. You're going to need a lot of people on this journey for you. But you should not use that in dreaming. There are plenty of times during the next three phases of the process to integrate everything that is a constraint in your life, specifically in the next phase that we'll, we'll work on next week, which is in designing the path to get to this dream. Of course, there's constraints, but right now I'm inviting you to, for once in your life, have no constraints. 
it's a very powerful uh, experience, I believe, to ditch all of the constraints. And again, this is the third chapter, You Stand Out, is about how to, even for a moment, so to be unapologetically you, to be selfish. It's through this selfishness, just for a moment, that all of the best things from all of the best creators and entrepreneurs that I know, they, there was a little piece of this, this personal creative plutonium that was awakened in order to do the things that you now look to that person and say, wow, that's incredible. This was a critical step. All right. I want to go to the chat here and see if there's any questions coming in. Ursula says, I love the sentence in this chapter. Instead of rebelling or conforming, simply choose choose yourself. I should have had that as a, as, as a reading. Thank you, Ursula, for sharing it. Um, Becky wants to share that I'm trying not to let my age 72 make me afraid to start over. Thanks for the support. Well, Becky, you're welcome. Um, I, in turn, would like to use you as a fantastic example of it never being too late. Right now, there's someone who's 22 who's asking themselves, is it too late? Is Have I missed my boat, my one true calling? And so let Becky at 72 be an example to you of reinvention of one's life is so uh, available at any moment to any person. Regardless of your circumstances, you might have a lot of responsibility. You might not have a lot of financial stability. Reinvention is possible at any moment. There's a, a story of uh, a woman in the book who had her first show at, I think it was 97, and a retrospective at the Whitney when she was 101. So, Becky, never too late to start. And if you haven't stumbled on that example in the book, you will, and you will hope, hope it will energize you. Um, let's see. Um, Ariana, there's a lot of people che uh, cheering you on, Becky, 72 and starting over. You've got another chance. You always have a chance to start or restart. It also might help add a new layer of meaning to the previous 72 years, 72 years that you've had. And if, in case anyone cares, my conversation with Peter Diamandis yesterday that will be available on the Chase Jarvis Live podcast and on Creative Live here soon, we talked about his vision and his belief of what our age capacity really is. There are turtles and sharks and all kinds of different organisms on the planet that live to 100, 200, some, I think he said there's some turtles and or a shark that's 400 years old. Like, and he was trying to understand what's the difference between them and us. And of course there's a bunch of factors, but through, you know, exponential, uh, thought through exponential medicine, he thinks that a hundred is a minimum and that's going to evolve in the next 10 years that the lifespan is going to shoot from, you know, in every year of medicine, we ultimately are understanding how to take uh, some amount, extend the life by by some amount. And at, at 
you start to understand that then if every year goes by and we understand how we can add 1.5 or 2 or 2.5 years to the human life, this is what exponential, um, an exponential curve looks like. So who knows, people that are in their teens or 20s right now might live forever. And I understand that's hard if, if they choose. My point in all of this is this is not some fictional thing to start over at 72. This is real. And not only does it not matter if if um, our life expectancy is only 85, that 72 is still, that's a great reason to start over in and of itself. But as human longevity changes, our ability to invent and reinvent ourselves over and over and over is not just a thing of science fiction movies. It's real. Deborah says she's almost 70 and furloughed from a job she loves and now launching into a freelance career in writing. Let that be inspiration to you. All right. Thank you for sharing. Um, I want to keep going because we've got some more material to cover. Um, again, the, the, the big exercise so far has been to make a handful of notes that does not take any constraints into mind. It's just imagining what you want out of this experience, this class, and whether it's a project or what you want for your life, it's important to start writing these things down. All right. Um, now part of the process is there's a little meta thing going on right now. Part of the process of learning how to do what it is we're doing or part of how to learn any skill. There's a framework that I've developed and that framework has been developed by looking at my own experiences and the experiences of others that I think are top performers in their field. And every time, again, there was this pattern when I recognized how I learned something. And the example that I give in the book is I really learned how to put the commerce in my photography, the commercial aspect of it by deconstructing the work of others. And that was, I was extremely poor. I couldn't even afford a $3 magazine. And so I would stand at Barnes and Noble in front of the magazine rack and make all kinds of notes about what types of pictures were being published, who was in those pictures, where were those pictures, you know, captured, what were the characteristics of those images, who are the people at this magazine, go to the masthead, who are making the decisions. I basically deconstructed all of the various aspects of what was working out in the world. And I started to imitate them. I started to um, put what I was learning there into use. I started to emulate what I saw in those magazines. And if it was a location I had never been to or a location that was better or more unique than the one that I was photographing, I learned that that was a thing. And then I started analyzing if I was, un if I was making headway toward the thing that I wanted to learn. In this case, it was how to put the commerce in my photography. And certainly I found things that were working and not working. And I found that when I repeated the things that were working and ignored the things or turn, turned away from the things that weren't, repeating the things that were, I, 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 I had an immense amount of progress. So what I came up with, again, this is connecting these dots some years later, was a mechanism for learning called deer. If you go to page 49 in the hardback, um, it's 
49. Dear, deconstruct, emulate, analyze, and repeat. Now, if you use my example, and I'm using my example just because I can speak very, very authentically about it, I did not know what I was doing. But that is the value of books, right? This is mentorship at scale. If you use this four-step process, deconstruct what you think others are doing in that are, that are, that are um, aspirational to you, whether those are artists or entrepreneurs, whoever you look up to, deconstruct what you think they're doing and look at parts of that and say, what I might not be able to um, afford a whole team of people in order to create this gigantic art project, or I may not be able to build a house from scratch if, you, if the person that you look up to is an architect or a builder. But what can you do? What elements of what you deconstruct, what you perceive they're doing, can you emulate? I also like to use the example of maybe right now you're a programmer at Microsoft and what you really want to do is you, 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 this big vision that you have for yourself is, um, to own a restaurant and you're like, wait a minute, I'm, I write code at Microsoft. How can I, you know, get to a restaurant? Well, what would you, what, when you deconstruct the lives of professional chefs or restaurateurs, let's just use a chef, for example, what do you see they do? Certainly they create a lot of food, right? So what are you doing right now? You're coding and you're like, oh, I just, I dream to own a restaurant someday. Well, it seems like if you want to be a chef someday or you want to own a restaurant that making food or creating food with, you know, your partner or chef, or maybe you're the, the, uh, the business end, it doesn't matter, but making something <laughs> is the first step. And, you know, maybe it's a cafe that you want to own instead of a restaurant rather than taking out a lease, um, you know, finding some property, taking out a loan, building out a, uh, a million dollar build out for your cafe. How about baking scones? How about starting something? Because when I deconstructed the work of the people that I admire, in this case, a chef, what's one of the key things they do? They make food every day. Are you making food every day? No, you're programming at Microsoft every day. So how can you create time and space in your schedule to start making food? That is step one. That is deconstructing what someone else is doing, emulating it. And then again, if you go through the, the acronym DEA, analyzing the results, are your scones getting better? The more you bake, the answer ought to be yes. Maybe it's nonlinear. Maybe it's two steps forward, one step back because you burn some or you try some new flavors that don't quite work out. But then you look at the things that are working, that are making your craft progress, and you repeat those. D-E-A-R. Every person who I um, know thinks about this, thinks about analyzing the results of what they've done. Let's use Tim Ferriss as a great example. He has something similar to this in his writing. I think he calls it DISS, um, D-S-S-S. Uh, I, I covered this in a video that we made together. It's just, this is a, it's, it's very clear that this process that, that um, 
deconstructing the work. In Tim's case, for example, he said, all right, if I want to learn to become a marathoner, I want to look at what the people who are world-class marathoners are doing. And not only that, but I want to look at marathoners who were not necessarily don't have the body shape or who are defying the odds because they probably overcame something even more extraordinary. So Tim started to study marathon runners that weighed 225 pounds rather than just the or ultra, you know, ultra runners. And he started to see, okay, great. There are a handful of key attributes that those people are doing that I might be able to apply to my own life or my own journey. I'm inviting you to do the same thing with the people that you like and respect. Now, I'm aware that my camera's getting a little hot here. Sorry about that. Let me turn that exposure down a little bit. It's getting brighter up here in the Northwest. We had a rainy morning. Uh, keep going down. There we go. Oop, too much. We'll call that good. All right. Thank you for those of you who are telling me. Dear, D-E-A-R, page 49, deconstruct emulate what's working, sorry, emulate what you see. And, and notice the emulate is not just sitting on the couch. The deconstructing part of sitting on the couch should not take you very long. You need to get to, you need to get to the work part of it. Deconstruct it. The emulate, the E part is actually you doing the work, emulating the behaviors that you see your heroes or the people who are in your line of work or the work that you want to be doing, emulate that work. Analyze what's working for you and then repeat it. Page 49. Something cool happens when you start doing this. Something cool happens when you stop thinking about it and you start taking action. Start doing the emulating. Start taking the next step in your journey. And that is, it's like the tractor beam. It's, there's this pull. The world starts ha feeling like it's happening for you rather than to you. This is the first sort of step towards walking the path. You know, I want you to think right now if imagining is like listening to that call. This is, you know, why the book is called Creative Calling because I believe that we know in our heart what we want to do. Even if we're telling us we ourselves that we don't know and, uh, that we're scared that for every choice we make, we turn our back on so many others. I believe you know. And if you don't know, it's fine. Do a lot of stuff. But for the 90% the of you who do know and are pretending that you don't, when you do start to take action on that path, walk toward that calling, this is what happens. There's some force that starts to propel you. And it feels incredible. This is what people have. This is the energy that comes from doing something that you were put on this planet to do. This is the energy that you feel when you're pulling on that thread of curiosity. Maybe you don't know and you are exploring, but this is what it feels like when you uncover or uh, you start to explore something that, that lights you up is it starts to feel not effortless, but it, it feels like that effort is is not just justified, but is welcomed. It's, you feel good doing the work rather than focusing on how hard the work is, which if you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, I guarantee that's the feeling. That's the primary feeling 
that you're having. All right. There's another aspect as you're dreaming big that I do not want you to over-index on, but I want you to be aware of, and that is the relationship between money, control over the thing that you want to make, and the company you keep. I call these the big three. And part of, um, I just, I know that these things, these three things get in our way, in the way of us imagining, and as we shift from imagining to actually executing or designing a plan, to, to reach that vision, it's sometimes helpful to at least take a moment and think about your relationship now in this given time right here with each of these things, money, creating creative control, control over the outcome of what you seek and the company you keep. How important is are is, are each of those things for you? Right? How important does what what role does money play in this thing? And you you can say, oh, money doesn't play a role. You know, again, this is the thing I feel like. If any of those purest authors who've written books about creativity will throw stones at me, it's because gasp, I talk about money as a part of creativity, and I do that because it's so pervasive the connection between the two in our culture and what's possible with not just a life but making a living. It's, it's, it's more possible now than ever before because of the tools and the technology to actually, you know, get around the gatekeepers or, or, um, remind ourselves that they don't exist. I just think it's an important exercise. So if you would on your own time after the broadcast today, make a couple of notes about your relationship with money, you're bad at managing it. You are worried about it. Just start to understand and frame a viewpoint around money around creative control. Like how important is it for you to reach this vision when someone challenges your vision? Again, you're, you're envisioning this future where anything is possible and someone challenges, go back to the architect view. You have designed this amazing house and the person asks you to compromise. Just start to play through some of these scenarios and think about how you would react. Do not let it limit your vision, but start to get comfortable talking about these three things with yourself, not necessarily with others. The way that I want you to think about your relationship with others is in this third bucket, money, creative control in the third bucket, the company you keep. Be aware as you're dreaming, as you're starting to think about this you know, the actions that you want to take, what's truly possible. I know right now that they're like, this person in my life is going to tell me it's not possible. This other person is going to tell me I'm a dreamer, not a doer. This third person is going to, maybe it's my spouse. Maybe it's my boss. Maybe it's the person I'm currently in business with. You need to start getting really clear about how you're going to communicate to these people. This is the scary part. Here's I think uh, a worthwhile nugget. If you are sincere in defining your what you want for yourself and imagining what you want, and you have considered some of these things, money, creative control, and importantly, who you spend your time with. Are you going to spend time with people who lift you up or people who tear you down? If there are people in your life who do not support you imagining something very special for yourself, you need to start to think about having a conversation with them. 
For most people right now, that may be their spouse because they are the primary provider of the family. And you're worried about this. I'm here to tell you that if you thoughtfully approach and if you are doing the steps, taking action rather than doing this before you start, taking action on your craft, loving it, making sure the people in your life know that you love doing this thing, that when it comes time to have some of these conversations and you do so from a place of love, from a place of having written this stuff down and thought about it, from having a, from a place of having done the work, that the that you will get so much further in your very first discussion. It may take 10 discussions, it may take 100, but hopefully the people that you love and that love you will understand if you can come at this from a position of caring, of authenticity, and of, of truth that you will create for yourself a crack that you didn't think was possible, a crack in, wait a minute, if I approach this in this way with the company I keep, I might be able to actually play through this thing that I thought was not play through. Well, in fact, the more you do it, your confidence will build. And by this, I mean your spouse or partner will start to understand how much it means to you. Your, the, the haters, if there are people in, you, in your life that are not lifting you up, it might be time to get some, not scratch that, not, not might. It's time to get a different set of friends because you have one shot. This is a key piece of imagination is putting yourself around people and in the mindset that this is possible. And it starts, this is where some, some tough choices start to happen. All right. Now I am one minute over. I said I was going to keep it to 60 minutes. We started uh, a minute late, so I'm going to give myself one more minute and then we're going to go into questions. Being unapologetically you, the number one thing it takes is energy and the number two thing it takes is courage. And the way you create momentum, inertia in both those things is through repetition. Unapologetically you, you know, requires courage and confidence and those things come through repeating this process repeating the messages that you have to yourself, repeating the vision that you have to yourself and talking about it publicly. If you're still unsure of what you want to be, pull on the thread of curiosity, pull on the part of it that other people always tell you, you are good at this thing. What was the thing that made you weird and quirky as a kid? I want you to look there. The idea that this is going to be risk-free, that in having a conversation with yourself about money or with your spouse or partner about what you truly want in this one life, of course there are risks. There are risks that you will, that they will turn your back on you or that you will have to turn your back on them. So I don't want to, I don't want to pretend for a second that there's no risk here, but this is required as you look to others and are inspired by what they've done, they've had to cross the same threshold that I'm asking you to cross now. Remember what I said at the beginning from the reading, creators create, you know, how would you like to express your creativity? Not just the bucket list item, but every day start to think about that in your eye, in your imagination. What does your perfect day look like? This is an exercise, an action step. 
what are your current values around money, around control of what it is that you do with your time and around the people you spend time with? And I would invite you to, to turn to page 84. There's an exercise there. Um, and <clears throat> before you run into this thing headlong or before you quit something, I want you to ask, what's the goal? I want you to ask, why am I doing it? What do I want to get out of it? I want you to ask yourself, what's the worst thing that could happen if I fail? This is uh, a very, very effective exercise because mostly it just has to do with um, disappointing people and there are few catastrophically un manageable, unnavigable things that come out of failure. They're usually stories that we've told ourselves over time. And this is what we're trying to undo now. This is why I think this is a valuable exercise. What can I do to reduce risk of failure? And most of all, is it worth it? And to the point of, is it worth it? At the end of your life, remember the number one regret of dying people. This is science. This is, um, psychological scientific studies, the number one regret is that they did not live their one precious life according to their values. They lived it according to others. Do not let that be you. All right, before we go to questions, um, we've trotted through a few exercises, all of which have to do with writing things down and starting to frame our imagination of what's possible for this project or for our life. And I wanted to read something in closing before you go to questions. And that is this. It's uh, page 82. I'm going to do a bit from page 82 and I'm going to augment with something from page 61, both from this section of the book. From page 82, there is no reason to hide. Be bold. Take smart risks. Embrace failure like an old friend. People respect a wrong move made with confidence far more than a correct one made without conviction. If you're writing a blog post, improvising a scene, or putting together a new and unusual service offering for your business, the stakes might feel high, but they aren't. Go for it. If you fail, learn from it and move on. Be the hero of your own life. Walk your own path. When obstacles arise, go over, under, or around them. When you lose your way, listen for that calling, this truth in what you've imagined for yourself today, and then get back on your path because your heart, this listening to your heart will always lead you. All right, that's again from page 82 and 61. So we are going to go back to the questions and the community, the part of this that I believe makes doing this together, doing this work together as a community here in the book club, the most worthwhile. Um, all right then, let's see, where are we? I am, what's up Hawken, how you doing? Um, Marcella, nice to see you. Alan, everyone's hollering. <laughs> um, all right. This question comes from Chase Steel Gray. What tools do you use almost daily that make my journey amazing? 
what tools do I use almost every day? Um, there are 10 habits that I personally track. Those habits are articulated very clearly in the book. Um, a lot of them, um, when, when I hear the word tool, I do not necessarily think of technology. I think of steps. Now, the next part of our journey, the next week is in designing our path. It's in designing um, what it is that we want to execute. Because right now we're just trying to get all the clutter and the noise out of the way and create a vision for ourselves. And whether we do that with a vision board or writing or daydreaming, like we're putting this into action. And a lot of people think of a tool as a hard piece or a technology. I like to think of my key tools as behaviors. So we're going to next week design a set of behaviors that will help you, you know, help you achieve this goal. So most of my tools are things like meditation and a mindfulness practice, things like exercise and getting sleep. Um, again, I detail these uh, great detail in the book, but we'll also talk about this next week. Um, things like journaling, writing it down. You can tell I've already asked you to write a bunch of things in the margin or scribble them in your Evernote. If you're, if you're more of a digital person, that's fine. Um, I think of these as tools, these behaviors and processes. Um, again, part of this learning experience is deconstructing what's working for others, emulating, analyzing, like, am I getting results from exercising? Do I feel better when I exercise or do I feel worse? Chances are you're going to feel better. I don't know too many people who feel worse from exercising. Um, for me, that was a part of the behaviors that I needed in order to achieve the thing that I wanted. I don't know what it is for you, but these are things that I think about for tools. So Chase, um, I like, yeah, I like your name by the way, bud. Um, and you may be a woman. I have a, a friend whose name is Chase that is a woman as well. So, um, or you may be a they, um, those are tools to me, behaviors and things that support what it is that I want. We're going to dive deep into that next week. Um, those are an example of a few from me from Facebook. Isabella wants to know what if the haters are in your very own family? I knew we were going to get this question. I want, you know, I'm very prepared for it because I get it a lot. And here's the tough part. You did not choose your family. You were born into this family and the best things in my life happened after or as a process of disappointing the most, the closest people to me, the people that I loved the most. This is a very difficult thing to reconcile. I've had a lot of people walk up to me as I get off a lot of stages and say, yeah, my, my spouse, my partner, my mom. My parents, in this case, I like to steer people toward Glennon Doyle's work, Untamed, her new book. It's an amazing book. She encourages her daughters to disappoint her, which might seem crazy to you. And I want you to read her book, Untamed, for the context. But we're not taught this. And this is part of what makes it so hard. And of course we love these people. But again, I just go back to the, the scenario that I think should drive your thinking, which is on your deathbed. And again, the deathbeds of the, you know, scientifically researched, the number one regret is that 
Someone let their mom decide what they did for a living. Someone let their spouse talk them out of pursuing their dreams. And I'm here to tell you the hard stuff that there is a way to soften the blow through developing really good communication skills, but there is no substitute for telling the people that you find important in your life what it is that you want to do with this one precious life. And if you can come at this from a thoughtful, balanced, centered, practiced, as in you're doing this thing and you know it to be true for yourself, it starts to become very, very hard for that other person in your life to ignore it. And here's the double hard news. If they still can't get over it and you feel like you are approaching it with thoughtfulness, with compassion, with clarity, with good communication skills, that's when things get hard. That's when you have to actually take action despite what they think or want for you. And that's going to be hard. But there is no substitute. And there will always, always be someone who's disappointed. Always. This was the case for me. This will be the case for you. And this is why it's so darn hard. It's so darn hard to imagine, even to think when you start imagining, you say, this is, I'm going to get judged from this person or that person, you know, again, and again, um, what was it? Isabella, she's worried that this is her family. Start doing your thing. Get really clear about what it is you want and why, what's your why and start practicing communicating about this stuff with compassion, with kindness, but with very, very clear direction. And you will be surprised at the results. You're not going to get there without disappointing people because they've told them store themselves stories about this. And they may perceive your risk as risk to them unnecessarily. And that might be true. But what you ought to do in those situations is work together to mitigate the risk. You're going to strike out on a freelance career at, you know, 45 years old and you've got a family to support. How can you downsize? How can you move out of that four bedroom house to a three bedroom apartment or a two bedroom apartment? How can you mitigate the risk? Because where I come from in my heart, my centered place, people who truly love me, they are probably scared. And I do think about it in a partnership. It is my job to help mitigate some of their fear, but they have to come along on the journey. And if they're unwilling to do so after a number of attempts, you have to, you do have to have a tough conversation. But what I've found when I give people this advice and when I did this myself, remember, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I haven't done myself. When I do, when I've done this in the past, it created support. It created an understanding. It created a connection an authenticity with most of the people, not all the people, with most of the people. And for some of the haters, I had to go a different direction. And for some of my family members that were unsure what I was doing, when I started doing it and I started creating success for myself, what happened? Absolutely changed their mind. Not everybody, but most. So most people wanted to come along for the ride when I told them how serious it was. For the people that were unsure when I actually started doing the thing and creating the success that you will create when you do the thing that you're supposed to do, 
they came on board. And yes, there was a small chunk of people in my life who didn't support what I did or I wanted to do. And you know what? I don't miss them. <laughs> All right. I hope that's not too hardcore, Isabella. Um, from Facebook uh, or from the Creative Life TV, um, or maybe it's a class page or chat. I, it's Wendy B. Wendy B. I'm so entrenched in the normality of my life. How do I get above it and convince myself I'm worth the try to try to get above it? I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm looking at you. Okay. I'm looking at you, Wendy B. You are worth it. Every person on this planet is worth giving effort towards becoming the thing that they want for themselves. This today is about dreaming. It's about imagination. I know most of us, that's why I sort of went on that rant and answered that question. Most of us are projecting all of the things that could go wrong, all of the roadblocks we're going to get, all of the, I want you, when if it's possible to park that on the curb for a second and just dream, if it, you find that it keeps entering your dialogue, Great, understand that we're gonna tackle that next week primarily, but I'm telling you that you're worth it. That is what ought to define a human life, right? Pursuing the things that you were put on this planet to do. And it's not linear. It's not like you figured this out on day one and on day 100 you've reached your goal. It's gonna be two steps forward and three steps back and four steps forward and one step back. That's part of the process. That's why we're learning this, why we're developing these skills and practicing. Right now we're practicing imagining. We're practicing going through the conversations that you're going to have to have in order to pursue what you want for this one precious life. So, Wendy, you're worth it. And part of the thing that I want you to remember is that the most important words in the world are the ones that you say to yourself I want you to start visualizing you being and doing the thing that you want to do, the person that you want to be or become. Okay. It's critical. Thank you for that. Thanks for being vulnerable. Uh, Wendy B. All right. From the creative life class page, um, Kim, I'm being creative. I'm doing a live weekly podcast, writing blogs, et cetera. But how do you grow a small audience? Here's the good news, Kim. You're doing it. You're doing it. And right now, by putting it out in the world, there's some people who are going to type in their name, Kim Ayers, and familiarize themselves with your work. That's part of what a community means, right? You're doing it with others, in front of others, on display. Now, I, I mean, I'm saying your name, Kim Ayers, in front of I don't know how many thousands of listeners, you know, 4,000, 3,300 people in this class. Now more people know that you are doing a weekly podcast, writing blogs than knew before this broadcast. Now, how many people stick around after reading or seeing or watching or listening to your podcast? I don't know. That's up to you getting better at your craft. But I do know that participating in this community is a thing that matters. So I also find this is where I'm going to give you some tough love, Kim, which is people want to have an audience or build an audience faster than 
it it happens. It's totally natural. Just do yourself a favor and don't wish to skip this step. Don't wish, don't wish you snap your fingers and have a large audience because what I found to be true for most people is that right now you have nothing to lose. Your first podcast probably sucked. Your sixth podcast is going to be a little bit better, but not great. You're probably going to need to do 20 or 30 podcasts before you find your voice and your stride and the audio mixing sounds right. And having a million person audience before you did any of that is probably going to keep you from doing it. So I ask you not to wish ahead of where you are. Just wish to do the work, be willing to put one step in front of another and do another podcast and write another blog post and tell people about what you're doing. And it's in this process that your audience will grow. But also just know that when you have a million people listening to you without having fortified and refortified your mindset and your muscles around this activity, you'll start to realize, wow, now I've got something to lose. So you have a different battle to fight. This never ends. It never ends, but it's worth it. That's what I want you to take away. The audience part will come. Remember, um, a I D E A imagine design, execute, amplify, amplify. What was the, the fifth week in the class? The fourth part of the book intro one, two, three, four is all about community and all about building that audience. And I, I like to think of community rather than audience. I'm going to let you use your words, but I just like, it's coming right now. You need to focus on the dreaming and the doing. It sounds like you're doing it great, but I promise you over time, it's going to get better. And the process of getting better at your craft is in part what will build and grow your community. All right. Also from the Creative Calling Book Club class page, again, um, if you're on Facebook, this is where I think the best stuff is. There's some more materials there um, at creativelive.com slash book club. Um, this one's from Margaret Carter. I may be mispronouncing Margaret, 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 T-H-E, Carter. Any advice on how to stay connected to your why at the same time as trying to make money? I feel like the harder I work on making money, the more I struggle to remember how I actually bring value through my art. Love this. And it's rather paradoxical. I agree. Most people, I believe, want to monetize their thing too early and they get themselves in this relationship of this stressful relationship with money. And it's part why I asked you to write earlier in this particular class and this particular broadcast today that I wanted you to start thinking about your relationship with, remember, with money was a really key thing, right? Money is, and if it sounds to me like you're probably defining success by how much money you make doing a thing. I promise you're going to be better off by postponing the idea of earning money on day one in favor of practicing your craft. Just think of the advice that I gave to Kim a second ago, similar advice to you. Um, most people want to monetize on day one. They get a hundred Twitter followers and they think, how can I monetize those hundred Twitter followers? I find that that actually undermines your macro. And so this is why I like whenever possible, 
um, mid to long-term vision is really helpful. And it's also why I do not like sort of going all in, push all your chips on black and hope for the best. Take out that second mortgage in your house. Now, I think you need to start doing this on the side, whatever it is. Um, I think it's, this is like the idea of transitioning is one of the least understood, but most powerful concepts that the entrepreneurs that you respect the most have mastered. Of course, you read about Richard Branson just buying a U747 to start um, Virgin Air, but it's he, he had already created enough success for himself through his record label that that wasn't as big a risk as it sounds. And he pre-negotiated the ability to sell it back to Boeing at a guaranteed price if it didn't go well. So he wasn't really risking the $100 million that it takes to buy a 747. Let's say he was only risking, you know, $85 million because that was, or sorry, $15 million because he was going to be able to sell the plane back for 85 million, bought it for a hundred, tried it, didn't work, sold it back to them for 85. So there are all kinds of ways to mitigate failure as an entrepreneur. But right now I need you to think about how you can compartmentalize by working a different job or creating as much time and space for the thing that you want to be doing as possible again, all this is in the book, such that you can create as free from the money constraints early on as possible. I'll give you a little story. Um, I actually found joy, great joy in being aware that when I started taking pictures with my Palm Trio, 0.2 megapixel Palm Trio before the iPhone, and then again with iPhone 1, when I started taking pictures with those cameras, those cameras that were embedded in the phone, I in part found the most joy because I, they weren't tied to money. And ironically, it was my passion for something that just brought me great joy to take a photograph with a camera that I always had on me that led to some of my largest, you know, creative and entrepreneurial success. So. Define how you think about money, define how you think about the people you keep, define creative control, do that part, the big three here in this uh, first part of the book, and I think that will help you. Um, again, that's M. Carter. All right. Um, we've got five minutes left. I promise to teach for the first uh, 60 minutes and then take 30 minutes, 25 to 30 minutes of, of, of questions. And I'm doing that now. So scanning. Um, oh, Marcelo seems to see a, an error. Sorry. If you've refreshed that, um, feel free to go to a different page. If you're on the Creative Calling book page, creativecalling.com slash book club, check out creativelive.com slash TV or, uh, or my YouTube or my Facebook because there are vibrant conversations there. For some reason, chat's not working for you. Um, all right, so Jolenta is asking about the title of the book. You must be late to the broadcast. That's no problem. The title of the book is Creative Calling by yours truly. It's about creating a life and a living that we love. All right. <clears throat> um, let's see. 
What's a great question? Drew is flagging a point that I made earlier, which I think is a good one to amplify, and that's there's this asymmetric risk-reward profile, which is that's in a sense what Richard Branson was doing when he started Virgin Airlines, um, that in pre-negotiating the ability to return the 747, um, he was managing the downside. And, you know, again, this, this idea of transitioning to things that are new is what I think wildly understood, but the entrepreneurs that have done it the best, the creators that have done it the best, there's, they don't just, if I'm doing wedding photography and I want to go over to drag racing photography, they don't just draw a line in the sand. And when some wedding photographer or what, uh, a subject calls about photographing their wedding, they don't say, sorry, I don't do that anymore. Hang up and go wait for their next drag racing client to come up. This is a terrible example, but I think it's kind of funny. The reality is you should continue to take those calls, but you should be marketing yourself as a drag racing photographer. And when these people call, you're still doing this work, but your advertising over time turns into you being able to sustain a full-time job as a drag racing photographer. So, um, again, that is making sure that the risks for, um, transitioning or the risk for taking the chance, uh, are outweighed by the long-term potential gain of doing what you love, having energy and abundance in your life, um, relative to, to that risk. All right. Ah, and the title of that book, mother to daughter to disappoint her. Oh, um, I don't remember if, um, what I, I gave the, an example of disappointing others. Oh, 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 untamed by Glennon Doyle. It was a fantastic conversation. If you go to Creative Live and search Glennon Doyle, or if you go to the creativelive.com slash TV page, that conversation between yours truly and Glennon is recorded there. I think it's a stunning conversation. And the book, her most recent, again, number one New York Times bestselling book is called Untamed. Yeah, thanks for putting that in the Terry Pruitt just uh, – put that in the comments there at YouTube and maybe some folks can do it at CLTV or on the creative live chat and at Facebook untamed by Glennon Doyle. All right. Tula asks a great question. I'm going to do this and one more, how to tell the difference between signature style and just repeating the same thing over and over again. Uh, stagnation or a she, uh, or Tula, I'm not sure if Tula is a he, she, or they. So I will ignore that part and just say being a copy paster of one's self, especially photography, as in my photos have long been the same old, same old, not evolving or changing. It's not that creative or innovative. Your goal in creating a personal style is what lights you up. So if you're not photographing something that brings you a lot of energy, then you're photographing the wrong thing. You shouldn't be photographing things that don't create energy and passion and connection for you. Once you start doing that and you start to come alive, then it's your job to repeat and to be crystal clear, a recognizable, repeatable, identifiable signature is actually very powerful. It is the thing that will get you hired instead of hiring someone else. And it's true, as soon as you start to narrow what it is that you do or how you do it, you will turn your back on other people. 
but it's only in making that commitment that you will get hired by the right people, which is your goal. You should not want to appeal to every person because in trying to appeal to everybody, you'll ultimately end up appealing to nobody. You will be generic. You'll be vanilla. You'll be beige. You'll be right down the middle, which in creativity, in innovation, in entrepreneurship, that's not what people want. That is the, that is the last stage of success in that, in, 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 any phase is the blow it out phase, which is not the business that you're in. That is the business that Amazon is competing on price and on infinitesimally small points of distinction. That is not you as a creator. Taking pictures of what it is that you love and doing so so many times that I can look at that and say, oh my gosh, that is definitely a fill in the blank your name. That is the next step in creating the, um, the business and, or the recognition that you may seek as a creator or as an entrepreneur. All right. Um, my last question, I'll, maybe I'll do a speed round here. Um, I'm rec- I want to recognize that I'm going a couple minutes long on the questions. If you need to, um, bounce, um, I will say right now, just be sure to try and read uh, step two in the process, that is the design, um, process, uh, in the book under the D and where does that start? I'm going to go to the, the, uh, table of contents here up front. Design starts on page 95. So you're going to need to read from 95 to 166. So what is that? 70 pages, something like that. 60 something pages. All right. Um, for those that want to stick around for more questions, I'm going to try and move through a handful really quickly. This one's from Instagram, Jenny Potter at the moment with current climate and many photographers and creator people not able to work due to the pandemic. What advice would you give them to help when they are able to get back to work safely, work on your craft, um, strategize, um, what is it going to look like when you emerge? Imagine what you want your business to be because probably you're on a hamster wheel just making money doing the thing now that most things are paused or we're we're not yet in a place where we can go back to work it's a great time to do this exercise with all of your heart imagine the biggest vision for yourself for the, your business for your craft that you can possibly imagine design a plan to get there, execute against that vision, and then amplify it through this process of joining the community like you're doing right now. It's a great time to strategize, okay? Great time. Start making pictures in your mind. Do Is there a way for you to polish your portfolio right now where you might not have had time because you've been on the hamster wheel of client work? Now's a great time to think about transitioning or think about redoing your portfolio. Do you have enough time and money to invest and does the investment or does your portfolio, you know, can you manifest it in such a way that you do not need to bring 42 people together that maybe you can do it on your own or with one or two, you know, maybe one model. So there's safe social distancing. These are things that I would investigate if I was you. Good question. Thanks, Jenny. Um, let's see. Tony wants to know how to manage my own path in photography. You're interested in so many areas in the building and find in, in the building and finding your style and taking into just a few interest areas. If you do not know 
I feel like you probably do know, but you're scared that it's too small a market or it's too X or too Y. So I think you need to recalibrate. I believe you do know. If you do not know, sample a lot of stuff. Try a bunch of things. You cannot intellectualize this. You cannot do it from the couch. You have to go out and actually do the work. And when you start doing the work, because you might be in love with the concept of photographing weddings or the concept of photographing um, celebrities, and you're like, well, I, I can't actually photograph a celebrity. Who's the, who's someone you can photograph? Is it a local celebrity? Maybe a celebrity in your small town or the, you know, the owner of a restaurant chain or the head of the, um, you know, maybe it's a, um, it's someone on the local news. Start doing that kind of work and you'll see if you actually really enjoy it. And if you do, great, pull on that thread. I find that when you don't know what you have to do or what you're put on this planet to do, the only way to understand more what that thing is, is to take action. Start tasting a lot of stuff. Okay. That's for Tony. And all right. Um, I'm going to answer one more question here and then I'm going to wrap up. And this is from Carmen. Hi, Chase. What's the role of a mentor while working on emulation? That's the second phase of learning, the second step rather in D-E-A-R, deconstruct, emulate, analyze, and repeat. The role of a mentor while you are emulating them is nothing. They have no role. This is all on you. What you're doing when you're deconstructing is you're deconstructing what your mentor, whether you have a relationship with them or not. Chances are you don't. Right. If you're really emulating the people that are where you want to be when you're living your highest version of yourself, your biggest dream, chances are you don't have a relationship with someone who's that far ahead of you, that high up on the totem pole in your industry. I want you to know that's okay. I didn't have that with any of the photographers, with any of the athletes that I wanted to work with, with any people in my community. I had no relationships. I was a graduate student at the University of Washington doing something I didn't want to do and living this fantasy in my brain, standing in front of the newsstand, looking at outdoor sports, action sports, surf, snow, skateboard magazines. And I was taking notes. Who are these people? What are they doing? What kind of pictures sell? And then I was trying to emulate those people. So the role of the mentor here, they probably don't even know you exist and that's just fine. Their role is setting example by the work that they've put out in the world, whether it's Brene Brown or um, Arlen Hamilton or anyone. Their role is them doing them. Your role, your role is looking at people who you think are doing awesome stuff in any given industry and how can you practice the things that you see in them such that you can taste whether it's works or doesn't work and more importantly, the path for you to inject you into that equation. The role of the mentor is zero. The role of you is to do all of the work right now. And that's what keeps most people from living their dreams. The ability to have, to think big enough, to think, to imagine, and then the ability to do the work. So that's what we're talking about. That's why this class exists. And that wraps up week two. This is week two where we have covered the first step. If the first one was introduction, the first step, step one here in week two is imagining what's possible. And that whether it's a project or our life or whatever it is, wherever you're taking this class right now, being a part of this book club, 
Now I'm going to click over to my notes real quick here and just uh, jot through a couple reminders here. Again, next week's read starts on page, I already said it once, I think I said 75, 95. Oh, yep, 95. Step two, starting on page 95. Please read that, about 60 or something pages. I would be grateful if you have gotten any value from the book and you're willing to leave a review at Amazon. Please help me. I would love to have another, I would love to have 500 reviews in the book and I only have 250 right now. Number three, text me. Let's be friends, all right? 206-309-5177. That's my number. Text me. I will respond. And just as an FYI, there may be something special next week for the people who are in my texting circle. Maybe something special, as in I might do something special beyond this broadcast here if you're in my texting circle. 206-309-5177. And I would recommend also you uh, turn on notifications for Insta because this week we will do a couple of challenges and the best way to know that that's happening is you turn on notifications for stories and posts. Um, feel free to invite anybody to join. I hope you've got value. Um, again, shout out in the comments um, if this is helpful or useful. I'm happy to take some feedback the best way to give me that feedback is probably to text me. So another re reason to uh, to be a part of my chat community. Um, yes, all the the I will confess um, that number is not yet open internationally to all markets. That is a limitation of the technology, but new countries are coming online all the time. So feel free to try it. And if not, the best you can do um, probably is to sign up for my email newsletter. Um, Stay very closely tuned to, of course, Creative Live. There's so many resources there for free. Um, and that is, you know, just uh, pop your email in, register, and then you'll get a bunch of uh, of opportunity there. Radonis says, great book club today. Clarity was huge for you. Love hearing that. Um, repeat the number, please, Ada. 206-309-5177. Um, put that in the chat if you would. Oh. Look at that. Bernie already did that for me. Or, yeah, Bernie. Um, Joyce giving a shout out. Ada, Torben, Andy, keep your eyes open. Hawken, Paleo, Becky. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, remember the Amazon stuff. I read all of those reviews. Um, remember to chat and text and get better at imagining what's possible. Once you do this once for yourself, whatever this project is, you will unlock something massive in yourself. This is why um, some of the entrepreneurs that you look up to, some of the creators have gone on to create multiple huge impactful bodies of work because they've freed themselves from the trapping of what others think. And they've freed themselves from the constraints that historically shape this one precious life. And you can too. Signing off, thanks so much for being a part of the show today, the broadcast. This book club, um, I'm thinking about all y'all out there. I want you to take care, be safe, and until next week, signing off. Ciao for now. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you so much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, 
that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple Podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here. Whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds, tagging me and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So, again, I want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well. And the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.